Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a weekly movie review podcast that aims to celebrate the late, great Roger Ebert and keep his unique spirit of film criticism alive by reviewing all new movies every week set for both theatrical and streaming release. And we hope to do that in an easily digestible conversation between myself, Brett Arnold, and film critic Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com. Now, while there may be one actual release this week uh, for the week of Friday, December 30th. Happy New Year, everybody. That movie is only opening, as far as I can tell, uh, at least in just one theater in New York City. I don't know where it is beyond that. If it is in LA or Chicago beyond that, maybe Mark can chime in and let me know. But there's a Tom Hanks starring film called A Man Called Otto, that is getting a regular wide release uh, the second week of January, I believe, and is out in one theater in New York, which is pretty much an Oscar qualifying run right at the last minute to get it in under the wire for 2022. It's going to be playing on December 30th, and I will be going to see it sometime this week before uh, next week's episode where we're covering... um, I don't know if we'll be covering Otto uh, the 6th or the 13th, but we're definitely covering Megan next week, which everyone can get excited about. But or, or M. Thregan, if you're uh, reading it out loud. Um, but we're talking about the best of the year this week, the best of 2022, as chosen by myself and Mark. I want to be clear that we are not making Oscar predictions with these picks. Uh, if we do, we we might make some offhand Oscar predictions while we're talking about our own picks. But to be clear, if this was an Oscar predictions episode, the movies and the performances would be different for uh, my choices. So these are my personal favorites. Uh, We're going to be talking about our own top fives. We're going to talk about some overlooked movies, which is a Roger Ebert uh, thing. He loved to highlight overlooked movies. He... I believe the festival that is now called the Ebert Fest, which I attended for all four years uh, in college at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, I believe it was at uh, first called Roger Ebert's Overlooked Film Festival. And and that's what the spirit of it is and has always been, even when it's called Ebert Fest. I think my first year, uh, 2014, the first year I attended, they showed like me and Orson Welles, that Richard Linklater movie with... Zach Efron and you know it was only a few years removed but it was a movie that he liked that was overlooked no one really remembered it so it was fun to watch that movie uh in a theater and we hope to uh, you know emulate that vibe by giving you the movies from this year not only that we loved and the best that you've probably heard of but also some stuff that maybe you haven't heard of that we want to make sure you do uh know about because there's a lot of good stuff from this year not just the mainstream releases. Mark, what's going on? Hello. Hello. Oh, I'm so glad the year's done. <laughs> yeah, and, my, I'm, I was yeah. in filibuster mode there. Uh, the year is done. It feels good. Um, I guess we should just get right into it. I don't have any clip so. packages or anything here. This is going to be a lo-fi episode. I didn't want to convolute it might, I just don't know how long it's going to take for us to go through all this. So we're dispatching with the ceremony. And, yeah, because uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about ten movies total, like in detail. We're not doing our full list. We're going to do like highlights of our list, stuff that we really yes. want to talk about, and then we're going to talk about 
you know, four performances. And then when we get to the overlooked, I don't know. I at least have two I want to mention. One that is like a guaranteed, like I think this is the most overlooked film of the year. Um, but I mean, who knows? This could go on for a bit. And then when we get to talking about our number ones, they could be a contentious conversation for all I know. Um, who knows? <laughs> it's it going to be, be interesting. A, it might be a fun one. I'm excited this to count be, down. This could be like half an hour. It could be an hour and a half. Who knows? It's an adventure. Yeah. Come on this journey with us. I definitely, in my pursuit of picking the most over, overlooked film of the year, compiled like almost 10, I think. So I definitely have oh, way man. too much to talk about. Uh, hopefully, maybe some of these things will just be rapid fire. Uh, the performances will be fun to talk about. Yeah, I, I love that our top fives are both very different. I don't think there's a crossover yeah. at all. Um, I, yeah, which is, yeah which we is share, I think we share maybe one movie on our list. I yeah, think, I, think on, I don't on our know. Top tens, I believe it might be a shared one or two. Um, Mark's top ten is up now on markreviewsmovies.com. My top ten, uh, I, pr- I probably tweeted it. It's on Letterboxd if you follow me there, um, and I'll post it in the margins or whatever you call it of this episode. Uh, it'll be there. But we're gonna highlight basically my top five and Mark's top five. So, Mark, why don't you start with? I guess your is it really your number five oh. or is it oh no it's not it? no i just okay. i just i picked five not i kind of picked five somewhat at random so okay. i'm gonna start five with, from um, your 10 got it yeah so i'm gonna start with number eight on my list and that is speak no evil which i know you really liked and obviously i really liked it maybe even more which is surprising because i think i felt a little bit less enthusiastic about it than you when we talked about it but this film has stuck with me um since the moment it ended, really. Um, I think it's the debut of Christian Tafdrop, who's an actor turned director. And you can really tell because the performances in this are so precise. It's, yes. it's a horror film, but it's also almost a comedy of manners. So you have a 100%. Danish family. A horror, a horror comedy of, matter, of manners. Yes. So you have a Danish family of three. They meet a Dutch family of three on a vacation. The Dutch family invites the Danish family over to their house in the middle of the woods just to stay for like a weekend. And everything kind of seems to be going somewhat well. And also there, the, the Dutch family is sort of hinting at like the idea that maybe they either don't really care about the Danish family, or maybe they're intentionally trying to insult the Danish family. Maybe they have something more insidious going on. It's difficult to tell, and the the suspense and the tension of that is both pretty funny, and it also becomes more terrifying as the film goes to the point where it reaches this climax that might be the scariest thing I think I've seen all year easily. And I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, when that big reveal happens, like why why does it happen? Why does why do these characters let that happen? And that's the point. Yes. That, that is the whole point. You have to get into that mindset of like, these people are just trying to keep everything on an even keel, keep everything polite, not look bad, not let things get out of hand. And also maybe even hope that things aren't as bad as they seem they are. And if you get into that mindset and kind of think about maybe like you think like, oh, if I get into a situation like this, I would react in a totally different way. Would you really? We don't yeah. really know like how, how we're going to react yeah. Right. How long would you put up with it? And like, I think yeah. everyone has a different answer for that. And I definitely 
think this is a very polarizing movie. I have friends who, honestly, I have a friend who was like into it up until the ending, the most nihilistic fucking ending in a movie I've seen in <laughs> quite a while. And I totally get that reaction and just be like, no, thanks. I hated that. But I, what I said to him and what I say to you, the listener, is that that strong, hateful response to it means the movie worked. <laughs> I think the, it, it objectively means the movie worked and it upset you and got under your skin, which is what a horror movie should do. And this, I totally agree uh, at your inclusion in your best of the year list. I love that it's there. Uh, it's a damn near perfect horror movie getting at like the true terror of social situations and the true danger and risk associated with like, being impolite, I guess. And like, it's as hilarious in a satirical way as it is genuinely disturbing. And what I found particularly good about it, like the key test for a movie like this with a shocking late reveal is if it's still enjoyable on repeat viewings once you know the twist. I actually did watch this a second time because I had caught it at the film festival uh, Sundance in January. So when we talked about it in September, I think I watched it again. And, you know, what's going on, knowing what's going on only enhances the experience and makes it even more fun to watch in like that cheeky, clever, squirmy way. Um, Yeah, I think this is probably the best pure horror flick of the year. And it also is very funny. So that's like a bonus. And it's a conversation we have over and over again on the New Flesh podcast. Like the thin line. It's not even a thin line. The line between horror comedies like a Tucker and Dale versus evil or like a something that's like sending up the genre versus like horror. That's pure horror, but also functions as comedy, like an evil dead movie or like, a, you know, drag me to hell or something like those are horror movies, but they can be funny. And this movie is very different than those. But in the, in, in that same vein of like, it's definitely a very scary horror movie, but also very funny. If you were, you know, a sicko. Which apparently we both are, but there, there we go. So that's uh, speak no evil. That's number eight. I believe that's streaming on Shutter still, and I don't think it has any other platforms. Even I don't even think it has a physical release yet. I hope it gets one, because, but we'll see. Um, yeah, Shutter so is yeah. good about Shutter is good about putting stuff out on Blu-ray. They know that there's a horror fan base, or you know, dudes going to Best Buy every week looking for new movies. So. I bet it will get a release if it doesn't have one already. So definitely check that out. Um, you're making me kind of want to jump around my list, but just because I already told you what it's going to be, I'll stick with my actual top five just to be okay. easy here. Um, number five on my actual top five is Nope. Jordan Peele's Nope. Now, this is a movie you and I didn't talk about because it was like the backdoor pilot for this show was me talking about that movie with um, Jacob Knight of the secret handshake podcast and website and my co-host of the other podcast. I do the new Flesh horror movie podcast with Jesse Hassinger. So we basically just did that episode and called it the Roger and me debut. So I'm actually really excited to talk about this movie with you. Um, I'm assuming I'm, I'm guessing did were you three out of four on? Nope. I was two and a half out of four. Oh so. my god! I didn't I know. know you were mixed negative. Okay, I'm mixed. Um, yeah. So why don't uh, not to derail my conversation or anything? But why were you mixed negative on Nope? What did you um, find it to be I mean, empty well, spectacle? Are you one of those people who did not think the themes that he was getting at like equated to what he put on screen? Like there was too much work to get there. I would love to know 
I've had a lot of arguments I, with friends about about this movie. I really like all the stuff that he does, sort of like this, you know, like urban legend type deal, like, you know, pulling out like stories about, you know, because the story of that chimpanzee on the set is somewhat based on something in reality. Yeah, somewhat. Um, and I found that uh, fascinating, all of the stuff about the history of cinema and all of that, and just trying to connect those and also the idea of trauma and how trauma is exploited in entertainment, potentially. I found all that fascinating. And then I kind of, I think the third act really derailed it for me because it does just become about the spectacle of that giant monster and trying to figure out how to defeat it. And I found that to be underwhelming compared to all of the ideas that are spinning around literally in the movie at times. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. But I, I, I go ahead and talk about it. this is your list. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Enough of that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I, I really wanted to know, and I'm glad you told me. Um, but for me, this movie is my initial response was just kind of blown away by what he was able to pull off here. Because what I saw when I first saw this movie, like my first response that I just wrote, jotted down and put through on Letterbox, and then it wound up being my most read post on Letterbox ever, was just saying, Jordan Peele made a sci-fi blockbuster mocking the industry about how audiences, quote-unquote, the viewers, chew up artists and spit them out, commodifying their trauma, all the while advocating for the, the movie, all the while advocates for the majesty of movie making and practical effects and analog tech while spiting digital, even though it uses digital, uh, and paying utmost respect to the below-the-line cast and crew, and like the the actors in Hollywood who might not make it, like who work at the Fry's Electronics Store, for example, get highlighted. And um, you know, child actors and minorities' treatment in Hollywood compared to its treatment of animals. I just was like so blown away by the matching of theme and imagery, and how like you realize at some point that Peel's really just trying to create that like Moybridge horse footage. Uh, from the beginning and like one of the first you know the, the monologue from the beginning of the movie from Kiki Palmer like he's just recreating that with uh, his movie and Daniel Kaluuya's character putting OJ on the white Bronco also is funny so there's a lot of layers to it but um, I just kind of blown away by like the spectacle that examines spectacle and as Jordan Peele said I think all the stuff we can't help but crane our necks to stare at and try to capture on camera it's just a movie about it's like you know the magic it's a, it's one of the most interesting movies of the year about the magic of movie making which i think there are several and there are several that have this like not quite nostalgic look back that's like maybe it was um problematic what's going on there maybe the industry is uh chews people up and spits them out as i said as this movie does repeatedly um i just was totally on board with it i've seen it two or three times now and i really like it and I'm actually seeing it in 70 millimeter, which I didn't know what, what I didn't know a print of that even existed. Maybe it's new, but it's playing here in New York next Thursday, the fifth, and I believe the sixth as well. And Jordan Peele will be there uh, for for the Nope screenings, and he's also introducing or presenting a bunch of his favorite movies. So I'm also going to catch The Wizard of Oz on 35 millimeter, which is awesome, and Friday the 13th. The final chapter is playing uh, as part of that series, so that's great. Um, so I know Nope is another like divisive movie that I think will split the room on people who just wanted a sci-fi blockbuster and who got this thing that they found kind of unwieldy and confusing and obtuse, and the people like me who are like 
so on board and just trying to decode everything that's going on in the movie. And I, I don't think you need to like take out a magnifying glass and find every connection or what everything is supposed to be meaning. Uh, I just think it's a really uh, impressive, powerful movie on, as its own, like a blockbuster, this alien movie. Uh, but then once you like peel back the layers, it really is actually examining big ideas in a, you know, it's always exciting to see big ideas explored at that level of movie. And um, I appreciate the audacity of it. I appreciate that, you know, it definitely didn't make as much as the other Peel movies, but it still did very well. Um, still all in the tank for Peel. And I think history may come to show this is his masterpiece so far. I think it is his best movie. And I love all three of them. Uh, yeah. Definitely going to check it out again. I know it's streaming on Peacock. Yeah, I'm it gonna, is now streaming on Peacock. I'm going to make good Peacock. use of that, that subscription I got cheap uh, and uh, check it out again. And I've been meaning to for a bit, but I haven't had the time to. So I will definitely check that out again with some of your thoughts in mind and see if it changes my opinion yeah, of it. It's definitely a very rich text. And if you are engaging with it on the level that I think it asks you to engage with it or not, it doesn't even ask you to. It just like kind of pretends like hey if you want to uh think about it in this way here you go i mean uh, the 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 cinematographer who's like you know sacrifices himself to get the best final shot or whatever i just found so much of it so resonant and i think it would make such a fun double feature with babylon and there's something else from this year uh that i uh, blonde is another one about hollywood uh i don't know it's it's it, it's a good one i liked it i'm glad you're gonna check it out again um, what is your next highlight? Uh, next highlight, I'm going to just one step down, number seven on my list, which is official competition. Um, it is a satire of Hol- not Hollywood, but it's a satire of movie making um, that has Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez playing this trio of characters trying to make this adaptation of a famous beloved novel that won some huge award probably the nobel prize i can't or even the pulitzer i don't remember it was some big prestigious award and a wealthy millionaire wants to have his legacy endure by producing an adaptation of this movie uh cruz plays the director um whose resume is like this highlight reel of generic cliched sort of like almost like alejandro Gonzalez and Yurito's resume might read something like sure. that. Like the, the international filmmaker who makes it big and does everything right. Um, Banderas plays an international superstar and he is fantastic in this role. One of, I think the best performances of the year, definitely one of the most overlooked performances of the year because he just kind of ribs himself and his image and does it so well while also putting on this great performance um, about performance. Yes. Martinez is great as the master actor who you know is not nearly as famous but and says he doesn't want to be but clearly 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 wants to be just as famous as Banderas's character and it's just it's very simple it's just a clashing of egos the whole film takes place during the rehearsal process and you have some very ordinary scenes like just the two actors kind of just trying to outact each other while they're sitting and reading the lines from the script. And I think at one point, one of them has it memorized. The other one doesn't. So that's like a, a, a point of contention. Yeah. Um, but it's also as extreme as I think the funniest scene of the year, potentially, which has Penelope Cruz's character putting all of them underneath a five ton rock oh, just yeah. to get the motivation and the feeling of tension. Right. 
and they're trying to, and it's done like in a one take and you just see and hear the rock hanging and the mechanical grinding of the crane trying to support the weight. And there's a really good payoff to it that I don't yeah. want to give away, but it changes everything about that. And it's just a really, really funny movie. And I think it does get to some big ideas by the end about fame and what people will do to continue it and what people will forgive because of somebody being famous versus somebody else. The whole thing has, I, I, there's so much I don't want to give away, but there is a lot of intricacy in both the gags and in the plotting and in the themes that you don't really see until the very end of the movie when there's like this big reveal of like the marquee of the movie that they just made and what that right. says about fame and for you know the public's ability to forgive potentially and also just you know the ultimate act of ego i think i really really enjoyed this film i know that a lot of people obviously didn't see it because it was an yeah. ic release that was very limited um it's out there though it's got a blu-ray release i know um i don't oh, wow. know if it's streaming anywhere yeah it did it got one um I'll have to look up while it's if it's streaming somewhere, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's really funny, really smart, and just three great performances. All three of them were on my ballot for best performances of the year on my um, my critics group uh, awards. So, yeah, totally worth checking out. I totally agree. It's worth checking out. Very, very funny. Laugh out loud, funny throughout. Great send up of the you know vapid nature of show business. I found it very funny that it debuted at a film festival in New York. <laughs> it debuted at Tribeca. Probably had the very audience it's skewering, applauding it and laughing at it. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed how we never see a frame of the movie they're making itself, but only like the outside factors, like the whims of millionaire financiers and shit like that. It's very funny, and it would make a great double feature with Flux Gourmet. If you're looking for like another movie that sends up uh, the art world, which and I thought Flux Gourmet was doing like what Velvet Buzzsaw tried and failed to do. So like that's a Russian nesting doll of recommendations of similar movies to official competition of which that is probably I don't know. I like Flux Gourmet a lot, but I'm definitely in the tank for um, that guy's name who I can't remember. Oh, Peter Strickland, who did. Um, the Duke of Burgundy and Barbarian Sound Studio and In Fabric. Big fan of him. But Flux Gourmet didn't quite make my top 10. I think it made my top 15. Um, but my next pick for this episode is my number four pick on my top 10. And that is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is another uh, movie that I would pair alongside Nope that isn't quite a nostalgic view of um of the industry or of what the movies can be and stuff like that i would say this movie is sneakily anti-nostalgic and like a really tough sit almost for probably for steven spielberg which this is like a behind the music of his career for um it's about the camera as a radical truth-telling tool that can shift the balance of power it's about the power of filmmaking as a means of taking control and putting you on the same playing field as the jocks who bully you. And um, I found it kind of stunning as both a movie about 
following how following your dreams is like inherently at odds with making your family happy and shit like that. It just gets at like a bunch of universal truths that I think you can sub in any dream or passion for, and they're just as potent uh, of a message. And I think that all comes through just as starkly as like the movie that you're watching that is like a Steven Spielberg confessional about his parents' divorce and how that shaped him and what that meant for him. And I just found it so moving. And I realized that it might not do a lot for people who aren't huge film fans or huge Spielberg fans, or it might be even too schmaltzy for some people who are, but it just hit me at the right, in the right place. And I feel like this is a movie that you're either going to be like five stars, best of the year of on, or you're going to be like, yeah, that was cute. And I think you're more into that was cute phase than I uh than the five star phase than I am. But I just really liked it. And um I, I just find myself since I've seen it, I've been dying to watch it again and I haven't. So I know it's available uh on VOD now. So I probably will do that. But definitely check out the Fablemans. I hope you like it. Um I I it's one of those wrecks where I'm like, again, this is my personal top five. And this one actually might be nominated for Oscars and stuff like that. And it probably will be. But I just don't want to... I want to make clear that I'm bringing a lot to this movie in addition to the movie bringing what it brought to me. So I always want to specify, you may have a different experience than I did. But I I quite like this movie. And I just know a lot of people who are very lukewarm on it. So I want to give a PSA, even though this is my shit. And I like that movie. Yeah, it's yours. Thank you. I, um, yeah, and yeah. I like it too. And I'm not going to deny it. I mean, I, I mean, it is a Spielberg biog- autobiography confessional, and I found those elements to be fascinating. And I just didn't quite get into. I mean, all the stuff about why he makes movies really feels very intimate in a way that I wasn't expecting. But that idea of just trying to take control of a situation that you can't handle. Um, like the fear, like the very first scene, uh, not the very first scene, but going to the movies and being yeah. afraid of that train crash and then trying to recreate it because that's how he's going to, this kid is going to be able to control that fear and the way that that spreads out to how he's going to, in his mind, try to keep his family together, or at least in his head, keep his family together and how he's going to make the bully look like a hero, maybe intrinsically because that's the best shot for that movie. Or maybe it's because he wants that bully to like him. Who yeah. knows? I I really found that stuff fascinating. And I think like we talked about, I wasn't quite as engaged in the domestic drama of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's it's still those things where I'm like, the problems, if I have problems with it, it's like stuff that you'd, you'd take, give them a note on and you're like, yeah, well, that happened actually. And you're like, yeah, well, that makes it inherently yeah. like less interesting of a character for this woman to be like kooky and buying a monkey and stuff. But it's like, apparently that's how she was. So you got to take, take it for what it is. But um, yeah, I found it. I just didn't know he had this in him, you know, like a very dense, rich text that feels like he, he's like spilling himself out on the screen in a way that we've never seen before. And, um, you know, gets at some inherent shit like uh, being doomed to deal with specific traumas for the rest of your life. So you may as well make it look nice and put it on a screen or whatever. Um, Yeah. I really love this movie. I think it will stand the test of time. Um, You know, obviously Spielberg, it didn't stand the test of the box office, which doesn't matter, uh, but neither did West side story. So uh, Spielberg's probably shaking in his boots 
old Stevie Spielberg can't make any money in the streaming era. What's next for him? Who knows? We'll have to find out together. Probably a Tony Kushner script, though. All right. Uh, what's? Oh wait. Now you want to jump to performances? Yeah. So we'll start with um, supporting performances. Okay. Um, so I picked. I think the two best supporting performances of the year. Um, the first is Kehui Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. Um, this is a huge Hollywood comeback story that everybody loves to see, and I'm going to be honest. When he showed up on screen, I had no clue that was the guy from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I had no clue that was the kid from the Goonies. I had no idea. I'm just watching this, and suddenly it's like, who is this actor, and why is he so great in this role that has him playing at least two, three, four different parts? It's it's the same character. It's just him at different in different universes based on how things would have gone. And what he brings to this performance is just this general intrinsic level of decency and kindness that you don't get to see all the time in performances and actors and characters really, but it carries through no matter what, whether he's like the big action star of a universe where he's trying to stop his character is trying to stop this threat to the end of the world, or he's a guy who is, you know, become very successful after losing the woman that he loved and he still pines for her and he's sitting there in that oh that beautiful green glow outside the movie theater where Michelle Yeoh's character just had a big movie premiere. It is such a fantastic performance that yeah. really for me came out of nowhere. I think for everybody it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I don't always like talking about award stuff, but if he doesn't win Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars this year, it's a it's gonna be a tragedy. Um I I mean, this is the a story that Hollywood loves. And it's the kind of performance I think that everyone can connect with on some level. Um, yeah, just fantastic work. Um, so that's uh, and K that's Hui one. Kwan. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it has actual Oscar chances, and I think he is the front runner at this point. Um, yeah. Okay, who's your second? Uh, my second then is Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inisherin. Boom! Ding ding! A... I, w- I wish I had a bell to ring because that's <gasps> yay. Uh, that's my pick as well. Okay. Sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, a very similar sort of quality to the performances that it is just like the one single unabashedly decent character in the movie um, that you can see through. But she also brings this level of just disdain and dismay at how absurd the situation is, um, where you have Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson's characters just at odds for reasons that neither of them either communicates or understands and they're trying to do it. And she's just there like, it doesn't matter. You guys are always fighting no matter what's going on. But even when you're getting along, there's fighting and there's all the troubles going on outside this little tiny island in Ireland right now. And she just wants out. She just wants something better and nobody listens to her, but she just carries on and keeps doing it and keeps being like the, you know, the beacon of wisdom and the beacon of decency. And I think my favorite scene out of that film, which has a whole bunch of very funny and very tragic scenes in it um, is a scene between her and Barry Keegan, where Keegan's character like basically confesses that he's in love with her yeah. and the way that her face communicates. Cause she's like sarcastic about it. Cause she's always just being sarcastic with these guys. Cause that's the way that they communicate with each other and how she's going to communicate with them to fit in. But the second that she realizes, Oh, 
this guy really means it. You can just see it on her face, like just transform in that instant. Like yeah. I need to handle this with the utmost care right. because this is a young man who is in trouble and doesn't know what he's doing. And if I say the wrong thing, something could go terribly wrong. And just the way that that transformation happens. And suddenly she is like the kindest and gentlest and warmest and most honest. She doesn't try to change her feelings. She doesn't try to, you know, say like, oh, maybe someday something could happen. She's straightforward with him. But the way she handles it, so great. Just a fantastic performance. I, I think you have some more to say about her either now or in a, a couple minutes. So Exactly I, right. I do have more. To, I mean, yes, she was my pick for best supporting as well. But I also had backup picks in case you picked them. So if I were to pick, I mean, this isn't my pick because my pick is Carrie Condon in Vanquish of Anishirin, for sure. 100%. But if I were to say like a B-side pick, that's kind of a fun outside the ballpark choice that no one else is going to have on their list. I would say Julia Stiles in Orphan First Kill. That is a terrific supporting performance that appends everything we know about Julia Stiles, the actress. I've never seen her do anything akin to what she's doing in this movie. It made me laugh more than maybe anything the rest of the year just... I can just think of stupid lines she said from Orphan First Kill and it makes me laugh. Like something about para. All parrots are whatever, certain type of birds. Um, uh, all parrots are, not all macaws are parrots, but all parrots are fucking macaws or something. And it's just like hysterical the way she delivers that line. Um, it's kind of something I can't really talk more about without spoiling the movie. And I do not want to spoil Orphan First Kill, which is if, if there was a best surprise sequel of a or 13 years late sequel best 13 years late sequel not avatar it's orphan it's orphan first kill that's the best 13 year late sequel to come out in 2022 uh anyway my best supporting actor is uh it's tough i have three written down i'll tell you my winner brian tyree henry in causeway a movie that is neither here nor there, really. It's a movie that I think we both agreed is like centered on the wrong person. <laughs> We're like, Jennifer Lawrence is, a, is good in it, but Brian Tyree Henry is great in it. And he only gets, you know, a few scenes, or maybe like, I would say he's in like half the movie. I don't really remember. But Brian Tyree Henry really made an impression in Causeway. And it was nice to see him have a role that meaty even if it doesn't seem like he wasn't he wasn't like the lead in the movie but he had a role with with a character with pathos and uh, a backstory and really moving stuff and he delivered so well just completely you know one of those like never expected to come away having that that movie on my end of year list but brian tyree henry's performance is so good i had to give him a shout out so that's my winner and you mentioned Barry Keegan and Banshees. That's my B-side flip pick. And then, you know, records have a C-side if, you're, if you can flip it enough times. And you know, I, I've heard. So my C-side is Justin Long in Barbarian. I don't know if that... I feel like you can argue that he's lead. Or you could argue he's supporting. I think there's arguments on both sides. But I went with for supporting. And another, like, Tyree Henry type of... I want to call him out because it was a, such a su- surprise to see him in the role that he's in and the way he's deployed and the way he uses his 
personality or like what, what the audience is expecting from him, the way he uses that against the audience, I think is very clever. And it's not just the movie and the direction. It's definitely Justin Long gives a great performance. And I got to give it up for Scream King, Justin Long. He's been doing horror for a long time and doesn't really get treated as like a horror guy, but he definitely is. Um, I'll let you go again with your third movie pick. Yeah. I know those are really good picks. Yeah. Brian Tyree Henry was definitely on my short list for supporting actor. And Julia Stiles was like right there on the edge. Was she? Oh, okay. Yeah. She almost made my final ballot. And now that I'm thinking about it, she might make my final ballot for the next critics group are going to be voting just because why not? No one's going to nominate her, but maybe, maybe if people listen to this episode, they'll realize. Yeah. What did you call it? Julia Stiles. I I can't remember the styles, the styles, the styles. I don't don't know. Styles resurgence, something along. Oh, the styles. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Something Something akin to that. Yeah. She, we can get it going definitely do for julia styles to have a resurgence um she is really great surgeons that was it style style surgeons <laughs> it's gonna happen i can feel it gr- rumbling in the ground um definitely check out orphan for skill if you if you take anything away from this episode yeah. in which that movie does not really factor in um it's a good one <laughs> um okay so back on track um for my next on my list is my number five and that is hit the road which is Panahi's debut film. I actually realized like most of the films I picked on this list are debuts, which shows what a strong year it is for first features in some way. Um, So he is the son of Jafar Panahi, um, the infamously, you know, banned from making movies in his native Iran for who knows how long decades. And he's still making movies by the way, which is fantastic. He's got one that's coming out technically at the end of this year that we'll probably talk about later on in a wider release. Um, But this one hit the road is about a family on the road. It's a family of four with a dog on the road to in Iran. The elder son needs to get out of the country for reasons that are never specified, except that he has some sort of legal issue going on that he needs to get out of the country. So his father and mother and younger brother hit the road and try to find like someone to get him out of the country. And along the way, you just get to really know and understand and sympathize with and connect with these four characters and that dog, <laughs> that poor, yes. poor dog. Um, it's just such a great, lovely little movie that is, you know, it's a road trip comedy, but man, it is so rich in terms of, how well these characters are developed and performed and they you know the father is grumpy but there are like moments where you just see how warm and how caring he is for his two children and his wife it comes out of nowhere but that's just the way that he shows it but you know it's honest none of these characters feel bad in any way they all are just good-hearted good-natured people um the mother is just trying to latch on to every single moment she can with her son before he leaves while also not trying to appear that way because, you know, she knows it would make the son uncomfortable, but she ends up like cutting the lock of his hair while he's, she thinks he's sleeping in the car. And there's just so many fantastic moments in this, the, the father holding the young son, looking up at the stars and just talking about that, that, that scene just yeah, that scene is broke really, my heart at the same time. Ah, it's, it's really so great. great. 
Um, that, that movie kind of really... whacked me on the head with incredible visuals throughout, like more than once. Like that scene, and then there's that static shot in what would you call that? Like just like a vi- the shot of the vista, like just like a beautiful wallpaper for your computer esque beautiful shot where the characters are in it and there's action within the shot, but like there you can barely see them. It's just like in the background and. Uh, I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. There are a couple I think that might be like that. There's one yeah, like there's near the end two where everyone's like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's one near the end where everybody's running around and yes, that one. You know, chaos because of everything. Um, yeah, it's I I. There's not much I can say about it because there isn't much of a plot. It is just a road trip movie, but there is so much detail in these characters that it is. You just feel like you've gone on this really incredible journey of just getting to know these people in ways that are surprising and unexpected and really just get you right in the heart. It's, it's a really, really strong film, really, really strong feature debut. I think not technically the strongest of the year, but pretty damn close. Absolutely. I I caught up with this once you published your list and I'm definitely glad I checked it out. Uh, Very impactful. Just a nice little movie. And speaking of nice movies, and speaking of uh, the previously aforementioned Carrie Condon performance and the Barry Keegan performance and the maybe soon to be talked about Colin Farrell performance, we got to talk about my third best movie of the year, The Banshees of Anishirin, and probably the best Martin McDonough movie, which is saying a lot coming from me, who's claimed In Bruges is my favorite movie for a long, long time. I think it might be better than that. The Banshees of Anishirin is just I can't even get at like the immediacy of the human emotions in this movie and how he takes like something that's so broad and allegorical and filters it through this, you know, small human thing that everyone I know can relate to. The story of like falling out of friendship with somebody or just deciding that you've moved on and don't want to be friends with somebody anymore. And like I don't think any of us have ever just straight up told someone that the way that Brendan Gleeson's character does in this movie. But like to see that scenario play out, it's, it's not quite cathartic is the wrong, is the wrong word, but like this movie is equal parts funny and like full of despair, which is a word that comes up a lot in the movie. Um, I found it to be magnificent. Like it's equal parts, laugh out loud, funny, and then like equal parts, completely upsetting uh, because of like the, just, like the harsh truths on displays of like, you know, what if you, what is your nice friendship with that guy going to do for you after, you know, when you're gone? What if you rather spend your time creating a song that will live on beyond you or creating some sort of art? It just is like getting at these inherent um, human ideas that like we all wrestle with, but don't really talk about. And I think this movie does an amazing job of talking about them. And of course, like the setting of this Irish island is beautiful to look at. And the the allegorical set against the backdrop of a civil war thing works so effortlessly. Uh, easily one of the best movies of the year. And currently streaming on HBO Max. I actually told my parents to watch it. And they did. And I don't know if they cared about it as much as I did. But um, it's cool that it's available. Check out uh, The Banshees of Anishirin. And check out the rest of Martin McDonough's films. Uh, he won the Best Picture for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, no, no, he didn't. He, he won, not? No, he won screenplay. We had this conversation. We've had this conversation already. Yeah. yeah, I've already, I've definitely, what won that year? Oh, 
Oh no, I don't remember now. It, what year was that? If you're uh, 2017, oh, 2018, 2017. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy! So it was was that the moonlight year or that the year at year before? That was the year before. I think that was the year before. Oh God! It was Shape of Water, oh. wasn't it? Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's a weird pick. Oh, um, both of them searchlight pictures. That's good. Yeah, for, good for them. Uh, good for them. Yeah, Banshees. You liked it, huh? Oh yeah, Banshees. I I mean, it's In slightly higher. 10. It's number yeah. two on my list. Oh um, yeah. yeah, it's a yeah great comedy. Great allegory about the troubles great universal parable about the perils of being friends <laughs> it's, um, yeah. it's yeah it's a great film i don't know what else to add to it i mean we've we went in depth on it when yeah we talked, we about, talked it. about it um, check out that roger and me episode um, yeah about that are we jumping to more performances um yeah i think so but yeah definitely check out banshees on hbo max or pick up the Blu-ray. For some reason, they didn't put out a 4K. I, I know. know it's frustrating. Madonna didn't shoot it in 4K or whatever. No, it's that's the annoying thing. There, I've talked about <sighs> this ad nauseum on my other podcasts, but there are certain studios, especially Searchlight now, because yeah. they're owned by Disney and they're not real. <laughs> um, and A24 does this too. They're very selective. But movies, well, they'll put them out on Blu-ray disc, like Banshees is a good example. Banshees is out on Blu-ray right now, but you can also buy it on digital in 4K, better quality than your Blu-ray disc. I've done the I've done the side by sides of a Blu-ray to a 4K digital, and yes, it does make a difference. 4K, even if streamed digital, looks better than a Blu-ray, which is oh, fucking no. infuriating. That <laughs> so, is infuriating. So once you find that out, yeah, it unlocks this whole web of issues. There's only one company, I think it's Paramount, that if you were to buy. Um, I think the black phones and other maybe I don't think the black phone has a has a 4K either, and it has a Blu-ray. But if you have a Blu-ray um, and you're a Paramount movie and you have the digital copy that comes with the Blu-ray, you can put that into your iTunes and it will give you the 4K as a digital copy. But A24 does not do that, so I have copies of Pearl and Men and whatever else on Blu-ray, and I cannot get the 4K unless I pay again. To buy it on digital oh, it's infuriating so banshees That's... is the same way so what i do for those pro tip if you want to own these movies in the best way you can you just have to wait till they're on sale on itunes which they will be you'll get it for five or eight bucks you can get it i've been paying seven or eight bucks for all the 4ks that i don't want to buy on regular blu-ray including crimes of the future which annoyingly is now getting a 4k next month from a different distributor um and barbarian is one that i bought it was on sale it might still be on sale for eight dollars and that came with the and they all they come with the commentaries and they have the four they have all the features they would have so psa 4k banshees you can buy it for probably eight or ten bucks at some point but you can't don't buy the disc if you want it in 4k all right performances (sighs) that's frustrating it's still frustrating it drives me nuts yeah yeah uh so lead performances um oh we just talked about it. I have a, you know what? I'm going to skip. Cause I think you're going to have, we're going to agree on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, first off, I'm going to talk about Michelle Yeoh in everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, another, this is, another front runner. I would say like, for I, best, I for would the hope Oscars. so. Yeah. But who knows? Um, it's hard to tell, but yeah, it both feels like a front runner at this point in the narrative. But also if you like step back from that, <laughs> it's like crazy to suggest that this little a 24 movie would be the, 
front runner, but it does seem yeah. to be the and just weird, yeah. weird A24 movie. Like it's very strange something. movie. Yes. The guys who made um, the farting corpse movie. Yes. <laughs> this is weirder than that even. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, so Michelle Yeoh, same. She's actually playing for the most part, the same character over and over again across these multiverses. She just inhabits the bodies of um, herself as like um, a woman with hot dog fingers. Um, the or, easiest example, so, yes. Exactly. <laughs> or somehow an international movie star, who'd have thought that Michelle Yeoh could play an international movie star? But the real success of this performance is that she does seem perfectly ordinary. She's just running this laundromat in the city um, and has issues with her daughter, who's a lesbian, and she doesn't know if she accepts that personally, and she definitely doesn't know how to tell her own father about that situation and so she's trying to delay all this and figure this out and she kind of is regretful and resentful of her husband because she came to the united states expecting huge things and instead she's running a laundromat and she's in tax trouble there's such an ordinary frustration to the performance at the start that makes it feel so relevant and real and then you realize oh yeah that's right we're watching michelle yo who is you know an international action movie star. So when she starts fighting, you're like, oh yes, I remember all of this. And when she is glamorous on, on the runway and watching uh, on the red carpet and watching a movie with herself in it, you're like, oh yes, that's right. This is also it. And it all works as a piece in this performance and in this film. And it's just great. She's always been great. And I think this is her best work. And I would really hope that she gets recognized because it is a great performance. And it's time that people, you know, remember like, oh, yes, we kind of take Michelle Yeoh for granted as an actor because yeah. we think of her as the action star. But she's so much more than that. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think it's I think that's one of the best performances of the year, if not the best performance overall of the year. Um, and then my other one is going back to Banshee's Vintage Year and Colin yeah. Farrell. So as man. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Colin Farrell for for specifically Banshees, best performance yes. of the year, best performance of his career, but I want to just put an asterisk that even if this like I feel like he deserves a special recognition award because not only was he great in Banshees this year, he was great in After Yang, which came out this year. He was great in The Batman, which came out this year. And he was great in the underseen movie that may make an appearance on my overlooked list, 13 Lives, the Ron Howard movie. He had, if we're doing like speaking in VH1 parlance, he had the best year ever. Um, and I just had to recognize that I, I don't want to say the award is because I is for all these things. But I do want to say it's notable that he had like an excellent fucking year. And yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say yeah. that, but it is it feel, is specifically Banshees. That is, that it is does kind one. of feel like, yeah, it does feel frustrating when like critics groups say like, oh, it's for Banshees and Sharon, but also for After Yang, which you're right, he's great in, and also yeah. for not unless for some reason they keep the Batman out, even though he they shouldn't. Is, he's correct. Yeah, I know. I think that's the one that people from this year would like. I mean, obviously, it's the most watched one just because it's a Batman movie, but like. That is definitely something people walk away from that movie go saying like, wow, I can't believe that was Colin Farrell. I can't, be yeah. can't believe how good he was. Yeah. And like how funny yeah. he was and like how no one wanted to see another penguin on screen because we have Danny DeVito in that iconic role in that iconic film. And no one said that afterwards. You know, everyone was like, he's great. Yeah. But in Banshees, you're right. I think this is his best work as an actor, period. He is just 
hilarious. Just his face. It's so goofy. sad. Yeah. Yeah. He's goofy and kind of slow and dumb, but also just heartbreaking because you can see just how desperate he is just to understand something about like why this guy that he was, he thought he was best friends with just says, Oh, I don't want to be your friend yeah, anymore. He can't he comprehend it. Yeah. He cannot comprehend it. He just wants to know. He just wants a reason. And it's such a great performance. And it is really funny. It's it's incredible how he can make us like feel so awful for this man, but also kind of laugh at the fact that it is absurd that he goes to these lengths to do all this. And then, if you haven't seen the film, um, don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is a turn for the character, and he sells that just as well and it gets a little bit yeah uh darker <laughs> let's just say there's some intentions here that are springing to life out of um some circumstances and situations that happen and you buy that just as much as you buy this goofy guy who is so just pathetic and sad um yeah it's yeah great performance definitely one of the best of the year if <laughs> again i don't know if it's michelle Yeoh or colin farrell for me that's the best performance of the year but it's one of those two yeah, it's remarkable for me. Definitely my number one of the year is Colin Farrell and Banshees. So that's my choice. But if we're flipping to the B-side of the record here, which this B-side actually has a C and a D-side. It's really weird. Um, but other honorable mentions, I guess. Paul Mescal and Aftersun, which I guess I could have saved for when I talk about Aftersun in a couple minutes, because I will. Um, Austin Butler and Elvis, which feels like to me the Oscar frontrunner, even though everyone thinks it's Brendan Fraser for The Whale. I just hated that movie so much. I don't want to think about it winning, but it, I, I would also be delighted when Brendan Fraser, if he wins an Oscar. But Austin Butler just embodied Elvis to the point of, I think it ruined his actual life. Like he, he sounds like Elvis now. Like he hosted SNL and he just, he just talks like that now. So, he took the Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, type of method acting that we all read about to another level. And now he just is Elvis in his real life. From what I can tell, he still sings the songs to people and shit. It is um, remarkable. And I didn't even like that movie that much. But I did come away with it saying, wow, that was a hell of a performance. And I think Baz Luhrmann keeps talking about, I want to, I have a cut where he did the whole, all the concerts. He did like the whole concert as Elvis. And like, that's what I want to see. Because that's he basically just is doing performance art as Elvis. Um, but the real B side, the real like this is a one I want to talk about because this movie again will be talked about in the overlook section. Did you see Sundown, the Tim Roth movie? I did. Yeah, that was okay. a that was a weird one. But yeah, he's really good in that. Yeah, that was January, and that's another one where I'm like, I loved him in in Sundown which is this indie movie I'll talk about in a few minutes that just seek it out. It's like 80 something minutes, maybe even less. It is a surreal comedy, I would say. And I loved it. And I really hated that director's last movie. So do with that what you will. The director did something called new order the year before this really nihilistic, not interesting, violent movie. And sundown is so different. Um, But anyway, Tim Roth, terrific in sundown it's basically a one-man show and he is the one man and he is terrific but i also will have to say he was also amazing in resurrection this year a movie that's on shutter now that i've argued about with mark that i've argued about with jesse on my podcast a movie i love that people around me seem to hate so 
I just want to give a special shout out to like Tim Roth in that Colin Farrell vein of um, he's doing a lot of stuff this year that I liked. And then for performances on the uh, lead side for the ladies, I've got, I mean, the uh, my picks are Rebecca Hall in Resurrection, um, the aforementioned divisive Shudder movie um, that you may or hate because, again, chances are, I feel like two out of three people will hate it more than it's not it's not a, it's not quite half it's two-thirds will hate it and that one person will really like it but rebecca hall i, I feel like deserves a special award for recognition in a genre that will never give her an award that she deserves because she gave such an incredible performance in resurrection as this woman dealing with uh, a psychological crisis or a real crisis you're not quite sure uh, and like what that looks like, especially the, uh, her character was like this very in control woman, and you're watching this in control person spiral, and she really got both sides of that role, nailed it. As and she was incredible in last year's or two years ago, I don't remember, in the Night House, which is another horror movie, so therefore it doesn't get Academy recognition. But she's just so good in these roles that, it, you know, I feel like those movies would be forgettable without her giving like a grade a oscar level performance in them she is so good and i also want to highlight aubrey plaza and emily the criminal another underseen movie that played the festival circuit that aubrey plaza i saw i watched this movie twice again because sundance and then we reviewed it and it stuck with me as aubrey plaza is just having another another person with a great year if you count the white lotus uh season two which she was terrific on maybe the mvp on um she what would you you liked Emily the Criminal, didn't you? What what would you say? Like, why is that performance so good? She like it's, it feels like it's out of her zone, like what we've seen. She's it's a very real down to earth movie where she plays like a person with student loan debt who needs money. You can't get a job because of a, maybe a criminal past or something. And she embodies that role. You you feel yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. There's no there's no Ed. There's no dark humorous edge sarcastic edge to the character she's just playing that part yes. um very it's convincingly des- desperate desperate woman in trouble yeah uh, and it yeah. works yeah it just works yeah it's a that's a great performance too i think that was on my ballot now i think about it, it was on i love my, it i'm yeah, glad we're so. uh, in agreement on all these we're in agreement on a lot of this you know who didn't come up and i just thought of it but you were talking about rebecca hall and i just think like how she shows up everywhere but you know who had a great year as andrea riseborough Andrea Riseborough. Uh, I feel like I say that every year. She's in I mean, so many indies all the time, and she's so good. She was in four movies this year, and she was completely different in all of them. She was in Please Baby Please. She was in Two Leslie. She was in Amsterdam, and she was just in that just came out on Netflix, Matilda the Musical. And she's completely different in all of those roles, and she's really good in all of them. I mean, Two Leslie is a great performance for sure. I think that's her best of the year. But I mean, I just want to call that out because it seemed like every week. We either yeah. talked about an Andrea Riseborough performance for like a stretch there, or yeah. I was watching something like, oh, there she is again. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in the queen. Of the yeah. Scene. Just a quick shout out to that and recognition of, yeah, you did a lot of work this year and it was really good. Um, yeah. All right. Real quick back to, oh, for the rest of it, we're just going to talk about movies. Yeah. Um, so number three on my list is a film that has technically come out in 2022 but most people aren't going to be able to see it until february 2023 and so i want to start 
ringing the bell really okay. loud right now for The Quiet Girl, which is Colm Barry's debut feature. It's the de- debut narrative feature. This is the best debut of the year. Um, this film just came out of nowhere for me. I had, you know, heard about it. It was, you know, available for watching for year end consideration and all that. And I put yeah. it on. And by the end, I was just a blubbering mess. This film wrecked me in the best way possible emotionally. It is about this young girl who's quiet. She comes from this very, very um, child, child heavy family. She's like the middle child of six, maybe, maybe seven. Sure. It's hard to tell. Yeah. And the mom has a has a baby on the way too. And because of that, they're like the parents who don't really care about her specifically, it seems ship her off to like distant cousins to live on a farm. And that's, that's the film. It's just her on the farm and getting to connect to these distant relatives who treat her with such kindness and respect and love. The, the, you know, the woman, the wife does it immediately. And the, the, the husband eventually gets to that point. Yes. And that is, I think the, the, the husband's played by Andrew Bennett. He is so great in this. And it's that, such a quiet, relationship performance. Yeah. That relationship is the key to the movie. And like, there's some, there's like, you know, you have the story of the girl, but then you find out the story of these people who have inherited her. And like, I feel yeah. like you can kind of infer what it's going to be, but like it ends up being this really poignant thing and it all builds to such a fucking powerful moment that I totally agree. It had me not quite in like after sun mode, but almost like just the same level of like denouement that takes the movie up a notch for sure. Yeah. Um, So the whole film is really just this very like a quiet, lovely little film. It's all about just these vignettes and getting into this rhythm of life on the farm. Uh, the girl, Catherine Clinch, she's played by Catherine Clinch. That is a debut performance and she's great in this, even though she doesn't have much to say, but she just embodies that, that you can see it on her face that she's just broken and just so yeah. in pain, like through the whole thing and, and starts to come to life as she gets to know these people who become like surrogate parents to her. I I can't describe how the film functions except that you just get caught up in this this rhythm and in these characters and in their lives and in their secrets and what that says about them and why this connection means so much to all of them that by the end yeah when that final moment hits it just hit me because i was so happy that there was some finally some kind of acknowledgement between all these characters and also just that feeling like but dot 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 you know like yeah what's gonna happen from here it's a great film um again it's not gonna get any kind of even semi whitish release which means it's gonna be like at your art house cinema if you live near a big city in february but if you can find it check it out because it is definitely one of the best films of this year that's number three and it's the quiet girl yeah i caught up with this when you when you had it on your list and you're right it's it's really it's really fucking good i can't recommend it enough i think you should see it it's very quiet and i think some would say it's slow but it's also like 90 minutes 90 something minutes so it didn't really feel that long to me and it all felt very earned and i think it's it's great i totally agree um all right my number two of the year is a movie i've mentioned previously briefly um after sun uh 
this is a movie that, as I said on when we reviewed it, I didn't know I was going to love it until it like floored me at the end and then completely had me. Um, it plays a little understated, like you know, this is the movie everyone's swearing is the best of the year, but by the end, when you realize what it's pulling off, I don't know if you're like me, you'll be a blubbering mess. But it's such a simple, simple movie, simple premise but told through very powerful, evocative filmmaking that so much so that like when it all comes together, it will destroy you. And it's a very impressive debut from Charlotte Wells, a very personal movie. Once you realize what's going on, it's a movie that you think is operating on one level, but then you realize is really just, you know, maybe operating on a different level. Maybe it's not as straightforward as it looks. Maybe this is like a memory being watched or something. And the way that like, the way the film is constructed, like the filmic um, techniques are what take this movie from just like a pretty boilerplate family drama to something akin to like, you know, the power of cinema. Wow. Amazing. Like it really has the chops and, you know, you don't see that from a lot of indie filmmakers making like what I would call like a weepy. Like this is a movie that, is just going to make you fucking cry if you're paying attention. But I feel like if you're not paying attention, it has the potential to leave you very cold. So it's just a movie that if you put in the time and um, are on its wavelength, it will make you uncontrollably weep. And it's all I've thought about since I saw it. It's, it's definitely one of the best movies of the year. You, you loved it too, right? I really liked it. And I, okay. I've said this a couple times since I put out my list. I, I think I'm going to regret in a couple of weeks, I don't have after sun on my 10 best list, but yeah. you know, things happen. It's arbitrary. It's in my honorable mentions. And yeah. yeah, that last scene, it's up there with the quiet girl for me in terms of just like how a movie ends. And it just hits you exactly right. Emotionally that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I, we were yeah, talking as about, intended, they got you. Yeah. yeah. I've been talking about like the best scenes of the year and this, that dance to under pressure at the end came up. Oh yeah, a couple of people like and me specifically. That was like one of the top scenes of the year. It's yeah, it's it's the really two impactful. performances too. Paul Mescal is the yeah. dad, and um, I forget the girl's name, but I'm assuming she's a debut because she's young. Frankie Corio, yes. she's yep. uh, unbelievable. It's it's yeah, uh, it just makes me want to like cry talking about it. It is just it's, such a yeah, it's rough. a lot. <laughs> It's 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 really 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 heavy shit. Like I don't want to sugarcoat anything because like it seems maybe even nicer and sweeter than it actually. Is. I mean it is sweet, but like it, I don't want to say it's sinister or anything. But it's like a very dark movie, very impressionistic, um, just like great use of cinematic language to like get get at emotion and like what did ebert say about movies and em- their empathy generating machines or something and like this is a great example of that um yeah, it is because it well, doesn't hold your hand you have to you have to pay attention yes. to the details you have to get into and that's what's so space. miraculous about it those details like it has yeah. those details that sing tr- true and like yeah. make the whole thing feel like real like you are watching someone's autobiography or their like videotapes from their trip it is yeah very deeply felt uh great movie love after sun uh drum roll please oh. uh we I got time for the number ones 
It's overlooked real quick. Oh, we got to do cool. our overlooked. It'll, drum roll go extended. <laughs> drum roll extended. Here's Take it our... back. Oh, yeah. I'm going to continue continuous drum roll until we're done. <laughs> the whole time. Here's <laughs> our overlooked film festival choices for you to, to check out, I guess. Um, I am. I have a couple of choices. I have one for sure. I'm going to say, I know you aren't a fan of it, but Montana Story uh, with Haley Lou Richardson. Um, okay. Just, Really, really, really solid family drama with a lot of secrets coming to light and beautiful imagery of Montana, um, where like the whole the whole landscape just feels like it's this vast emptiness that reflects the lives of these characters. I really liked it. Um, You brought it up real quick. 13 Lives. This is Ron Howard back in business and in, you know, procedural mode. And this got overlooked by, I think it got overlooked Everybody. by critics and audiences. Yeah. Everyone overlooked it. And I have to blame Amazon Studios because yep. they screwed it up. Yep. It was hard for me to see this. And I'm reviewing this. This should have been the most, <laughs> yeah, this should have been the most layup Oscar contender in the world. Like there's definitely a reality where a different studio had it. They marketed it correctly. It opened in theaters, did fairly well for what it is. And had a robust Oscar campaign, got some nominations. That's not the world we live in. But it feel it's not like a movie that like you feel like would be like it just feels like it's it should be an Oscar player, and it's frustrating that it's not. Even yeah. though like like whatever, it's a Ron Howard movie, but a Ron Howard movie based on a documentary or you know based on a true story that's already been several documentaries in a TV show. Like it seems like it sh- should have been this like boring thing. I totally understand why audiences wouldn't want to go or didn't care about it. But I do think it's more of a, no one knew this thing existed. I didn't really. Yeah. I think that's the big, yeah, that's the big problem. It like, it showed up in theaters and it had a, I mean, I went downtown to go watch it and it was fairly easy to get to. That doesn't always happen with these, but then in a couple of weeks it showed up on prime video. And I mean, I saw a couple ads about it, but that was it. But yeah, this thing is, it's so good. It's such a, really solid movie this was another one that was like hanging around like on my number 10 spot for a while (laughs) but i didn't go with it but it's there it's up there um as being like definitely one of the top films of the year um but yeah it's also been hovering out of my top 10 but yeah go ahead yeah but my pick for the most overlooked film of the year is number six on my 10 best list and that's the outfit um this is another debut this is another debut feature by graham moore with mark rylance playing a cutter basically more than a tailor, but he cuts suits and it's the 1950s in Chicago and it's about gangsters. And this film came out in that really terrible year where theaters were the part of the year where theaters were technically open, but everything was going to theaters and then going on, you know, digital on demand rental too. And everyone overlooked it because no one was really going to the theaters and critics overlooked it because I don't know why, but I think it's a great, character-based thriller that lets you understand all of these characters motives and what they want and i don't see any kind of it's a it's a really great example of how plotting can work if it is based in the desires and the needs of these characters because i don't think anything's out of place here i don't i didn't see any gaps in logic or anything like that i'm just caught up in what these characters want and how they're going to get it and how rylance's character just manipulates everybody very quietly and in the background to get what he wants which is to get out of this situation where there might be a rat in the mafia and um, there's a briefcase that everyone's trying to get at. And he's just trying to get out of the situation alive. 
and I really was engaged in it throughout. And so like this came out in March and it obviously has stuck with me because it's number six on my best of the year list. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly surprised to see it there. I thought it was all right. Um, but it's one of those movies that I would enthusiastically recommend just like certain sets. Like I would be like, Dad, you gotta watch this movie. Like you're gonna love it. And not as like a burden. That's where I'm at in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound mean. It kinda sounded mean. But um it just to me had like that this is clearly a play or should have been a play energy, which is fine. But I feel like the writing turned silly at some point and stay and stayed there. And I thought it was kind of like dumb masquerading as austere is what I wrote in my letterbox log. <laughs> but it, I remember it. I, I said it looks nice, and Rylance is always fun to watch. And if I, if memory serves, Zoe Deutsch is in it. And um, yep. yeah, I don't know. I would watch this again. I do, I saw it in a theater, and you know, it kind of washed over me, and I didn't really think about it again. So. It's nice to know it made an impression. I definitely know other people who quite liked it. So I would recommend people check it out, even though I wasn't super hot on it. Um, it I think it's streaming somewhere. It's got to be. Um, yeah, I should have looked that up. It's okay. I can quickly do it. I believe it is streaming on... I just saw it somewhere. It is streaming on Prime Video in 4K, in fact. Ooh. So yeah, oh, you that's can what I'm watching tonight. Yeah, I bet you're rewatching the outfit in 4K. There we go. Uh, I've got my overlooked handful. Um, I'll try to skip the ones we've already talked about on the podcast. Um, we reviewed Funny Pages, which I loved. We reviewed Soft and Quiet, which I loved. We reviewed Significant Other, which I loved. I don't think we talked about Duel, which I liked. Did you Did you like Duel? The um, Karen Gillan? No, I wasn't a yeah. fan of that one. But, okay, I mean, I liked yeah. Duel. Uh, it's a I, what would you call that? A comedy or like a sci-fi comedy? Sci-fi, uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it was David Ehrlich who called Riley Stearns or this movie "Diet Yorgos Lanthimos" because it kind of does feel like that. But I found this. I found Duel to be laugh out loud funny, and the first time I've full out really liked from Riley Stearns. I haven't really liked his previous stuff. Um, even though I've liked elements of his previous works, like he did The Art of Self-Defense, which I think has some great performances, but the movie's okay. And Faults, I thought, was just okay. Um, but Duel's about like a woman, uh, a terminally ill woman cloning herself and then basically not dying, and then she has to live with this clone now. And it's like every bit as funny as that sounds, but also, um, not I don't want to say it's profound or anything, but it's it's fun and engaging and deadpan Karen Gillan really did it for me. But I feel like, you know, maybe that won't work for everybody. Um, I found it... I don't know. I don't know if revisiting it would make it fall apart or if I would love it more. But I definitely saw it at Sundance in January and quite liked it. Um, the Harbinger. The Harbinger is this indie horror movie that just snuck out at the end of the year here. I think in November, uh, it premiered at the Brooklyn Horror Festival here, and I missed it there, caught a screener, and have been just singing its praises ever since. It will definitely be talked about on the Best of the Year New Flesh episode. It's the best COVID set movie I've I've seen. It used it, it actually made me scared of COVID again, which is either good or bad. I'm not sure. Um, but it's just a movie about a woman venturing out to see her friend in the middle of the pandemic like or not in the middle of the pandemic at the beginning of the pandemic 
when there was no vaccines and really scary to leave the house and no one was leaving anywhere. And it's just a woman going to check on her friend who's having these really scary dreams that it turns out, you know, is this related to COVID? Is this a collective nightmare that we're all having? It's just this really psychological, scary movie, genuinely scary, like got under my skin, creepy. As I said, made me scared of COVID again. Um, really, really strong movie with really strong performances that is definitely just going to be lost to history because it's so so small. It's a very cheap movie. But I think it's worth plopping down the six bucks and checking out The Harbinger. There are two movies from this year called The Harbinger. You want the one directed by Andy Mitten that has like a plague doctor on the cover. Um, I'm sure it'll be streaming somewhere soon. But that's uh, a good one. And I already mentioned Sundown with Tim Roth, which is like a movie about a guy who just doesn't want to do anything, (laughs) who wants to keep procrastinating. It's honestly, I think some people would say that guy's such an asshole. But watching this movie, I was like, boy, do I relate to this character. That's all I could think about. Um, It's very, it's this unnerving, weird movie where you're just watching a guy kind of like do nothing with his life. And you're just like, this kind of rocks. Like, I don't know how to describe this movie. I haven't seen it since January. Um, but it's this quiet movie about a like, isn't he on vacation? I, I think it's he's about on a guy, vacation uh, with his family. He's on vacation which, and he won't leave, right? Yeah. yeah. What's funny about it is that like he does at the very start just seem like what an asshole, and then you start to realize, oh wait, he's actually not that big of an asshole. It's everyone else around him that's got all these expectations for him, and it kind of just eventually justifies like, yeah, he's he has every right to do all this stuff. It's I've, yeah, I wasn't a fan of it, but it is in retrospect kind of funny. It works as a comedy because of the way that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've thought I had a certain set of expectations, and I think the filmmaker specifically wants you to think like these are the dynamics of these relationships, and then you realize, wait, they're not. Why did I assume that? Oh, because that's what it looks like. But once right. you realize what's going on, yeah, that might be worth another look. That might be yeah, another I definitely was like, oh, I was looking at my diary. I'm like, oh, my God, this was in early January. And I'm, I, I totally forgot about it. I love this movie. Oh, man. Really captures the psychology of procrastination better than like any movie <laughs> I could think of. And it really encapsulates, you know, just like the idea of like running away from your life and like not doing anything anymore. And, you know, people in your work calling you and you're just ignoring it and like what that would be like. I found it so interesting and it's gorgeous to look at. It's like the sun-kissed, serene, surreal camera work. It's honestly very overlooked movie this year. I really liked it. Michael Franco's Sundown. Let me see where you could even possibly watch this. I have absolutely no idea. Sundown 2022. It's on Canopy, which is an uh, a streaming service that you can get for free if you have a library card. Or a yeah, and hoopla co- college check, student thing, yeah, yeah. Check with your local library if you have hoopla and or canopy. I have both of those available through my local library, and I love both of them. They are great. They are unbelievable. Great for yeah, independent films like that just just came out like in a couple months. Um, and classics. Canopy is especially rich in terms of how many classics they have in their library. Um, yeah, yeah. check. Check with your local library and find out because you can get access to those for free. And you get, I think, 10 rentals a month for each one if you can get them. And yeah, totally worth it. Totally worth it. It's truly free. So check out um, 
oh wow it's also five bucks to buy right now on sale so i might buy it actually um it's five bucks to buy on amazon on google youtube voodoo 10 bucks on apple for some reason but yeah sundown it's because available. apple <laughs> yeah so weird but if it's the in apple 4k tax. yeah if it's in 4k for five bucks i'm buying it um great movie and uh so those were all build up to my actual pick for Overlooked, which, assuming you saw, I don't remember because I don't think we talked about it. It was before we did the show. Did you see Great Freedom? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. That might be my pick for most just like this movie kind of walloped me. Uh, it's, again, like a very bleak affair. Um, but it was very impactful. It's this movie set in like post-war Germany. And there's this guy who's basically in prison because he's gay. And um, it's just like his quest through that system and how horribly he's treated. And um, but like truly like it's, it's just like the, ama- it's amazing what level of treatment humans can get used to. It's horrible to watch. Um it's one of those movies where like you can kind of see the ending coming, but it doesn't lessen the impact it kind of wallops you anyway. Um, I found this to be a staggeringly good movie and I'm, I'm like less on, you know, less good on details here. Cause I saw it in probably February or something or March, but this was a movie I went and saw at a theater, paid money to see it at the film forum in New York based on like a good review by Bill Gabiri or something. And it totally delivered. Um, generally not a huge, like gotta watch my holocaust movie guy (laughs) but uh great franz rogowski lead performance and like this is not a typical holocaust movie this is like a very specific story told within a time period and um definitely check it out let's see where you can watch great freedom great freedom is available to stream on movie on movie which is a streaming service that I believe is like 10 bucks a month. And if you live in New York and Chicago, in addition to the streaming service, you get a movie pass like ticket once a week to a movie of their choosing. So they, they curate. And that's actually how I saw the pale blue eye in New York city uh, in theaters this week. So uh, great freedom on movie. That is my overlooked movie pick. And now the drum roll has returned and Mark is going to bestow upon us his number one movie of the year, which if you've been paying attention to the performance pick, yeah. maybe you'll guess it. Yeah, and with the process of elimination, since I already said what my number two was, um, yes. yeah, I've been this, yeah, this film stuck with me since it since I saw it back in March. Again, another one from March. And it's everything everywhere all at once. And it's been sitting at my number one that entire time. Um, nothing has come close to knocking it off. I think it is a unique piece of filmmaking. I think it's imaginative in a way that I wasn't that I was skeptical about at first because it does seem at first as if it's just going to throw everything at you um, at event. But it does. It throws everything at you, not just in terms of all the jokes that it does in terms of like all these multiple universes and what that means. I've referenced a couple of them before, like hot dogs for fingers. There's also a really funny Ratatouille callback that comes out of nowhere. Um, there's a lot of discussions about philosophy and whether or not a, where a universe where everything and anything is possible. Does that mean everything matters? Does it mean nothing matters? Or is there some kind of happy medium? This film 
um, from the Daniels, as Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner call themselves, is far and away the best thing I saw all year in terms of just the quality of the filmmaking. It works as a really wacky comedy. It works as a great action film. The action sequences in this are some of the best I've seen the entire year in a couple of years, probably. There's a lot of great fights. There's all that. If you're looking for that, the humor is spread throughout the fight. So you have a character using a fanny pack as a weapon at one point. It's really yeah. funny in that regard. And it's also a very, very touching and sincere and thoughtful story about relationships. It's about like the wife and the husband. It's about the mother and the daughter. Yeah. And it's about the daughter, especially she played by Stephanie. So she was on my short list for best supporting performance of the year too. Sure. Who's just all of that pain that she's feeling throughout the course of her life of not being understood and feeling as if she's being judged by her mother, the way that that comes out as you realize like who and what's going on in terms of this big multiversal threat that's threatening everything in life on the entire scope of existence. It really hits home. I am shocked that this film works as well as it does. I think it's a minor miracle, if not a really big miracle that it works at all. But man, it's just so imaginative and fantastic and well-made and well-performed. It's, like I said, far and away, best film of the year for me. I think in a couple of years, after a few viewings, it's possibly an all-timer in my head. I I don't know. I've never seen a film like it. I can't imagine I'll see another film like it again. Because who's going to even come up with something yeah. as... How could they possibly as this? I mean, it would have to be completely different and out of left field um, to come up with something this imaginative. So I love it. Um, Yeah. Everything everywhere all at once. I haven't seen it since March, but what I said then was there's a universe (laughs) where, where this clocks in at like a hundred minutes and is my favorite movie of the year. But for some reason, this version for me played like, the unwieldy extended cut for the fans only. Like it just, it was, I found it to be cute and some great jokes, but I thought that it beat those jokes to the ground by the end. And it didn't, and I did think it came together nicely, but I, I found it like, I, I, it, it, it annoyed me for some reason. And I really hated their, the farting corpse movie, the aforementioned farting corpse movie, Swiss army man. But there's one of the Daniels that did did a movie called The Death of Dick Long. And I love that movie. So I feel like there's one Daniel I like and one Daniel I don't like. And if there's a movie they're working on together, I it'll over the it'll be like a middle of the road thing. And if that one guy makes another one, I'm sure I'll love it. But to me, this movie was like a good episode of Rick and Morty, but Rick and Morty episodes are like 22 minutes for a reason. You know, I don't know. I'm being an ass about this movie. I'm genuinely excited that it did as well as it did. It's this small indie that made a hundred million in theaters. It, um, it's cool that a movie this weird can do so well. Uh, it just, I don't know. I, something about it didn't quite work for me. I'm, I still own it on 4k and I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Uh, because I'm a completionist, and um, you know this is going to be this is a, as you said it's in the canon already. People love this movie. Um, yeah, my my the meanest thing I said about this movie is A24 presents Adult Swim, Looney Tunes, The Matrix, Scott Pilgrim, Rick and Morty. 
<laughs> um, but I mean, kind I, of, but but I, I get it. But like, I get what you're saying. Like, I wish it came together for me the way it does for the for you and the people that it works for. Because I'm such a sap for any emotional connection in this movie. It like I see, I saw it happening before my eyes. Like I saw it connect, like connecting all the threads and the mother and daughter stuff. But like, it just kept. It just, I think it was a friend, Matt Jacobs, who said, you know, it's a movie that loses me and wins me back on a win on, on almost a minute to minute basis. And that's how I feel about it. So I feel like if I watched it again, I could totally go either way on it and say I loved it or I, I couldn't fucking stand it. But I really think I, I want to watch it with my wife who is interested in seeing it. And I'm very curious how it plays on a second go. Um, and go. now won me over yeah. from beginning to end. That's where I'm at with it. I love it. And speaking of winning me over from beginning to end and a movie that my partner might not agree with at all. We're going to talk about my number one, which is if you know anything about me, this was a foregone conclusion. I feel like it is, of course, David Cronenberg's crimes of the future, which to me is, you know, he's a man who is an auteur who only makes movies um, that I love. <laughs> and this is no exception. I just think it's a perfect fusion of like, going back to his roots doing a body horror type of movie with like weird goopy technology that looks like it's straight out of existence or whatever and like the new agey self-reflective going to like you know make a movie about myself and making movies and what it's like to be an artist making movies in the art world today and i think it's incredible that this movie functions on that level as like um you know a movie that you're watching that's um a satire of art and then it also works as um a you know 100 percent satisfying without even parsing the self-reflexive am i losing my edge art critique stuff and just focusing solely on the sci-fi allegory about you know what happens to humans that treat the world this way and um, will we have to eat the plastics we're, <laughs> we're throwing all around the world? Like, it just, it's such an interesting movie that is, I've seen it four times already, and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of what's going on. Uh, it's a movie that I think is showing the end result of humanity's over reliance on technology and also, you know, the end of humanity wreaking havoc on the climate and stuff like that. Um, I think it's cool that Cronenberg is like liberally quoting himself without actually saying the movies he's made like Michael or Michael Bay did in the ambulance when he just started listing movies. He's well, I forget what movie gets referenced in that one, but um, I found, I don't know. I just find this movie so rich and I've already, it's another movie that like I have to specifically recommend to certain people would not, I recommended it to a bunch of friends who saw it like in a theater with, a bunch of bros and like that is not the way to watch this movie <laughs> um it's i feel like there are people who just inherently cringe at like very earnest cronenberg dialogue like surgery is the new sex and i'm not good at the old sex and stuff like that but that's all baked in man i think he's working at like the peak of his talents i think this is an elegaic beautiful movie um I love it. I don't know what to say about it, really. Uh, I've seen it so many times. I feel like if to talk about, you really have to part. Like if 
<laughs> you could have two conversations the really tough parsing of like what's actually happening in the movie and then like the other conversation of okay but what's he getting at here and what does it mean and is he saying he's ready to eat the plastic and make a marvel movie what's going on uh i love that you can read into it in so many ways if you're at all interested in david cronenberg you have to check out this movie if you're not i don't know if this is for you it does feel like it's for the fans only um and i appreciate that he's making movies not for audiences but for himself and for his diehards and um I would love to know why it left you cold. I'm assuming because it's a cold movie that it's, is kind of yeah. made to be. Yeah. It's a cold movie. And I feel as if from where I stood, like the oddity of it overshadowed all of those ideas that you're bringing up. And I think, I mean, those ideas are clearly there about the environment and the, the havoc we're causing on it and our yeah. reliance on technology and what it is doing to our bodies and our brains. Like, yeah. Please yeah. tell that story. But I also feel as if all that body horror stuff, just, you know, those, like, I didn't find the surgery scenes to be disgusting or anything. It's just no. like, okay, I, I get it. You're showing us this because you want to kind of make us feel squirmy and uncomfortable. But at a certain point, it's like, I want a little bit more out of it. Um, definitely movie. one time. Yeah. I was just say, it's maybe, definitely one of those movies you have to, bring a lot to also it, it, and like it definitely I unlocks on repeat stuff but i feel like most people won't want to watch this again yeah i don't have that connection to cronenberg that you yeah do. i do admire like i think spider is a great film but that's oh, not in his body that's horror. like his weird that's not his one, body yeah. horror canon for sure no. but i think that's great um he did the did he do the um he did the freud um young oh yeah movie Dangerous too. i like i well, like that one i love that i, I love that late cronenberg era before this one where he was doing like history of violence and stuff which i'm like also that. not that yeah. big on i'm not oh, big really on history of violence yeah i'm not big on history of violence or eastern promises but i do like for some reason i guess i like his little tiny domestic dramas. yeah <laughs> but what are you gonna do but this one yeah. yeah i mean so i don't have that connection of like looking for the meaning in conan burke's career yes if, if you get what i mean yes what, that you did find that. yeah like yeah, yeah. what is he going to do with his future i'm like i think he's going to just keep making movies and we'll see what happens that's where i'm at with it um but yeah i mean if you, you know if you say more viewings opens up some stuff yeah i'll definitely check it out again yeah it it's like you know at? an allegory for the artist in an increasingly corporate world and like it's so interesting to like watch him make a movie like that uh let's see you can watch crimes of the future at my house on <laughs> the 4k that i got from itunes for eight dollars it's also by the way still eight dollars to buy on itunes 4k but it's uh, on hulu it is on Sweet. hulu right now that yeah. is like perfect for me um my pick i didn't say it everything everywhere all at once is streaming for those who somehow haven't seen it yet it is streaming on showtime Yes, I did. Showtime I did pull that up and forget to mention. Uh, Sweet. Oh no, no worries. All I, at once. I did too. Yeah. Um. All right. I think we did it. That was Mark and I's top. Not quite Mark's top five. It was selections from Mark's top ten. And you've got my top five, <laughs> and you've got our best lead actors, our supporting actors, and a list of overlooked movies. I'm just going to name a few indie horror movies I liked that I think you should. No, I'm not going to. I'm actually going to tell you. Yeah, check out the New Flesh podcast there where you go. this week we'll be highlighting the best horror movies of the year and definitely doing the overlooked thing as well for some indie stuff. So yeah. that's where to find that. 
check out Mark's full list at markreviewsmovies.com. And um, I will see you in 2023 uh, yes. with our new co-host, Megan. <laughs> Next week, you'll say hi to Megan, who will be alongside us. Okay, goodbye. The show starts in one... Shut up. Ush.